Y'all can take a seat, take a seat. Well, first off, on behalf of Cottage Grove Church right here in Des Moines, Iowa. And I should add, Tony, you should have said this, because you said all the beaches in Florida and all this stuff. From the microbreweries in Des Moines, Iowa! Uh, welcome to Des Moines. Welcome to Des Moines, and welcome to the 2024 Salt Company Conference. Uh, my name is Zicky Soma, and I'm so glad that each of you are here, have traveled by airplane and by car to be here tonight and this weekend. I got a question for y'all. I got a question. How many of y'all have ever owned, or even own right now, a pair of Adidas shoes, a shirt, a hoodie, or something made by Adidas? Anybody own one? And the popularity of Adidas actually has to do with the message tonight. You're not going to believe me, but it does. Another question. How many of y'all, as you're about to choose a major, maybe start a project, apply for a job, consider dating somebody, have been asked this question, what is your why? Anybody ever asked that question by, or maybe this phrase, know your why? Now, this phrase or this question just became popular about a decade ago because Simon Sinek, the researcher and author, had a viral TED Talk seen by over 92 million people called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And his premise was this, they start with the why. Before you ask yourself who I should date or what grad school I should apply to, you have to ask yourself, why am I applying to grad school? Why am I pursuing this relationship? And as a leader, you have to begin with the why. And then he wrote a best-selling book called Start With The Why As Well, which also has sold over a million copies. And it was because of him that now we ask this question, why are you doing this? What is your why? Do you know your why? Now, here's the question I want to ask tonight. Why is it that tonight people, thousands of colleges have gathered on this Friday night, they're not at bars and clubs, but have gathered here tonight to worship Jesus, to hear the word. What is the why? Why are we doing this? Why have hundreds and hundreds of hours, both paid and volunteer hours, come to set up this worship center so that you can come and worship Jesus and hear the word? Why do we send hundreds of missionaries, college students, this summer all around the world? Why are we doing that? And why on Thursday nights all across America do thousands of college students gather for salt companies? Why do we do that? And here is the answer. The answer is found in the passage we're looking at tonight, Ephesians chapter 2. So turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we'll find out why. And I would offer this to you. This is the greatest why, the why of whys. And so tonight we're going to look at two whys and a how. Two whys and a how. And as you turn to Ephesians 2, let me give you a little background on Ephesians. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul, somewhere between 60 to 62 AD, and these are called his prison letters. Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, and Ephesians are the four letters he wrote while he was in prison, most likely either in Acts chapter 19 or Acts chapter 28. So these are letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches, Philippi, Colossae, and to an individual, Philemon, and also to a church in 
Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. On the map, if you look at it, it will be called Asia Minor. And I realized something, Dean, I realized something. The reason why they had me preach this passage is because this is a letter written to Asians. And the reason why they had Tony Lee is because they're like, man, and here's the thing, I'm going to take my glasses off. Does Tony look like my son if I take my glasses off? They said, we need some Asians because this is a letter written to Asians. And I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and like most of Paul's letters, the first half is what's called orthodoxy, correct doctrine or correct belief, and the second half is orthopraxy or correct behavior. If you believe, it's going to affect your behavior. So he says this in verse 1. Read along with me. I'm reading for the English Standard Version. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, finally, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in this passage, we find out The why. Why we gather tonight? Why do we gather on Thursday nights? Why do we invite our friends to Salt Company? In this passage, we find out the why. And the first why is found in verse 1. He says this, and Paul, I believe, is from Texas because the you there is really a plural. It should say, and y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which y'all once walked. So he says this to us. This is the first why. He says, you were dead. You were dead, and everyone listening tonight is saying to yourself, my heart's beating, the blood is going through my veins, my lungs are breathing. How is it that Paul is saying, I'm dead because I'm alive? That passage can't be true, and this is why. What Paul is talking about is this, and this is the first why. We are physically alive, but are spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead dead. We're physically alive. We have our hearts are beating, our lungs are breathing, but we are spiritually dead. And he gives us the reason why. He says, because you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And that word walk means to live. You lived and did these things. That word uh, trespasses is literally the word in the Greek missteps. And here's the picture. It would be like if you're using Waze or Apple Maps and you have a navigation system and your navigation system says, stay on this road, turn right here, and you purposely say, I'm going to turn left here, I'm going to turn right here, you have gotten off the path, you've taken a misstep purposely. 
And God has established a path of righteousness. You said, I'm good, God, and you've taken a left or taken a right. He says, we've all lived that way. Secondly, the word sins there means to miss the mark. It's a term used in archery. He says, God has an expectation of you hitting the bullseye. Perfection every time. Every choice you make would honor God. If the life of, uh, if, uh, life or the game of basketball, he would say, if you would make a shot every single time. And whether you make it 90% or 50%, here he says all of us miss the mark. And that's how we lived. Then he gives us the reason why, three reasons why. He says, following the course of this world. The first reason, he says, is because we follow the ways of this world. And the world he's not talking about is the planet that we live on. The world is a system, a system by which the world tells you You may be dead, but you know what? You can find life, and you can find life on your own terms. And so that's the reason why we sin is because we are desperately trying to find life, and the world tells you you can find life apart from God. Secondly, he says, following the prince of the power of the air, there in the middle of verse 2, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience So then he says, and the other reason why we sin is because there is an adversary, an enemy known as the devil, and what the devil does is he says, you may be dead, but you can find life apart from God. You can do it, and he deceives you and tricks you into thinking that by sinning, you can find life, even though the Bible says what we earn, the wages of sin, is death. It'd be like this, if you were standing in the middle of the ocean, and your boat crashed or something, you're in the middle of the ocean, and you are now dying of thirst, what they tell you to do is as you're looking around, you see all this salt water, and you think, I can just quench my thirst by drinking some salt water. And what happens is this, the more salt water you drink, the thirstier and more dehydrated you get. You think what's going to give you life is actually bringing you death. And that's why, friends, the deceiver, the enemy, deceives you into thinking What is really going to bring you further death is going to give you life. That's why kids go and shoot up schools, because by doing that, they think they can find life. We try to find life in pleasure, chemical pleasure, relational pleasure, sexual pleasure, and we think in doing those things, we can find life. We think by achievement, if I can just get into the right school, if I can just get the right job, then I can find life. If I can just date the right person relationally, I can find life. And all those things are deceptions from the enemy. And I'll tell you why in a second. Verse 3, and then he says this, among whom we all once lived, and he says, there's the world, there's a devil, but also in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, our inner person, children of wrath. So he says, All right, the world system says you can find life apart from God. The devil deceives us and says you can find life apart from God. But he says even our own nature says, you know what? You may be dead, but you can find life on your own. Now, here's the reason why we are spiritually dead, even though we're physically alive. 1 John 1, 5 says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is absolutely holy and pure. There's no sin in God. And because we sin, here's the issue, God loves us but has to deal with our sin. He has to separate himself from us 
because he's absolutely pure and holy and sinless. Let me give you an example. Um, honey, why don't you stand up? Where's my wife? She's right there. Stand up. This is my wife. You can call her Triple L, the l- lovely locked lady, right? And you're sitting there going, he married a sister? Yeah, this mister married a sister, all right? Now, this is the thing. Honey, you still love me, right? You love me? You got She loves me. But my wife hates funk. Not the music. She hates funky smells, all right? So she has these very pure, sensitive nose. So she hates, like, funk. If I come home funky, she's like, get away from me. So about a year and a half ago, I'm fishing in Houston. There's a reservoir behind our house. And often when I get off of work in the summer, I get on my adult BMX bike and ride on this trail and go to Attic's Reservoir. And it is like the basic, uh, where all the sewer water collects in Houston. But there's fish in there. So if I get off work, I'll go over there and fish. And on this one, I think it's a Monday or Tuesday, I got off work, I'm riding my bike over there, and I catch the biggest bass I've ever caught out of this little creek there. And while I'm going, I'm sweaty because it's a hot summer day, I'm muddy and dirty, and now I've got fish guts all over me. And I get home, and I'm so excited to tell my wife about this giant bass I just caught out from our backyard. But because even though she loves me, because she is opposed to funk, she says, get away from me. So she had to separate herself from me. And here's the thing. John 1.4 says this, that in Jesus is life. John, I think, 19, or 5.26. John 5.26 says, in the Father's life. And so what God does, because he's absolutely pure, and we are not pure, we sin. He says, you are sinners and transgressors. God separates himself from us, and he is the source of life. Now, here's what happens. What happens when anybody is disconnected from the source of life? They die. They die. We had a young autistic boy at the church I pastor in Houston with this huge field, and he would love to look for these clovers, and he was always looking for a four-leaf clover. One Sunday between services, he comes up and he gives me a four-leaf clover. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never seen one of these. He had plucked it from the ground. I put it on my desk, preached the second service, came back the next Monday, and by then, that four-leaf clover had shriveled and died. Why? Because it was disconnected from the source of life. And so the first why is this. Physically, all of us are born alive, but we're spiritually dead. And here's the other thing. If we die in that condition, if we physically die in that condition, we are now eternally separated from the source of life and love, God himself. And we call that hell. And here's the condition. He says at the very end of verse 3, like the rest of mankind. Friends, that is the condition of every single person, rich or poor, black or white, brown, yellow, red, whatever color, ethnicity, socioeconomics, no matter how educated you are, that is the human condition. Separated from God. Physically alive, but spiritually dead, and on this constant search to try to find something that's going to give us life, a relationship, a job, money, pleasure, all the while, those things are never, were never designed to give us life. But can I give you some good news? The second why. Look at verse 4. But God, but God, the bad news is we're physically alive, but spiritually dead, 
walking and living in sin, separated from God, but God. Now, you can tweet this or X this or whatever we call it now. There are a lot of big butts in the Bible, all right? A lot of big butts in the Bible. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, Matthew 19, 26, what's in, uh, this is impossible for people, but with God, all things are possible. And right here, what Paul does, he says, here's the bad news, the first why, the human condition, spiritually dead. But this is what God does. But God, being rich in mercy, because of God being wealthy in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Underline that word, love and loved us, or that phrase. God desires his best for you, sacrifice, his unconditional love. He says, because God loved you, and that word great is the Greek word poly, from which we get my college, Cal Poly, which means many, but here it means large or great. He says, God loves you with a great love. And because of that, and this mercy that he has, uh, let me back up. Because in um, verse three, he says, we are children of wrath. That word wrath means God's righteous anger towards sin. God's angry towards sin. But here he says he's rich in mercy. He withholds his anger. He withholds what's due to us because of his mercy. That's what it means. Verse 5, even when we are dead in our trespasses, repeating verse 1, here's the good news. Made us alive together with Christ. That word made alive is the two words that we know. Zoo, which we go to like the zoo, it means to, uh, to live. And poem is the word there, to create something. He says, God created and made you alive. How he did it, where's the preposition? Underline this preposition, with Christ. Why? By grace you've been saved. That word grace means unearned goodness. You didn't work for it, you don't deserve it, but God was good to you, God's unearned favor. And then he says this, the second thing, so you're made alive with Christ. Secondly, he says in verse 6, and raise us up with him. Underline that with again. So he says, you were made alive with Christ. Secondly, you're raised up with him. Then finally, verse 3, or in the middle there, verse 6, he says, third, seated us with him in the heavenly places. So get this, y'all. Physically alive, spiritually dead. On a constant search, trying to find something that's going to give us life, even those things, were, those things will never give us life or never designed to give us life. But he says, this is what God did through Jesus Christ. He made you alive with Christ. And then he also raised you up with Christ. When we celebrate Easter Sunday, just like Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected as well to new life. And also, he says, you're now seated at the right hand of God the Father. So here's the thing I wanted to share with you. When you pray, don't think, God, I'm praying to you, and God's like a million miles away, and you're like, God, holler if you hear me, right? You are now seated at the right hand of God the Father, and so now prayer is an intimate thing where you simply are just looking to your left. You are now actually there in heaven, seated with Christ. Now, I see all these blank stares, so let me try to share something that maybe connect this. Um, I'm about to become the team chaplain for the Iowa Wolves, the G League team that plays right next door. Before that, for seven seasons, I was team chaplain for the Houston Rockets in Houston, Texas. And so I can bring guests with me. Now, understand that preposition, guests with me. 
Now, if you're my guest who's going to come with me, I will tell you to park in a parking lot that's right next door to the Toyota Center. And when you pull up to the parking lot, it will say, private parking, all cars will be towed. And you're wondering, should I really park here? And I've told you, park there. You'll park your car there. I'll park my car there. And the security guard will come out of the building and will begin to tell you, you cannot park there. We're going to tow your car. And before the security guard can do that, I'll say, hey, hey, don't worry about that. He's with me. Oh, okay, and they'll leave you alone. We will walk to the Toyota Center, and we'll see hundreds of people lined up trying to get into the gates, but there is a special private gate for media and family only, and we'll take the small private gate. As we walk in this gate, the off-duty police officer, before he can say, this entrance is not for you, I will simply say, hey, don't worry, they're with me. Okay, come on in. We will then go through security, and we'll go through a private elevator, get down to the bottom of the Toyota Center, and there there'll be a lavish meal prepared by gourmet chefs. You can have as much food as you want. This is the meal prepared for the players and the staff and their families. You can eat as much as you want. Before you dip your spoon and the security guard comes and says, hey, this food is only for players and their families, I'll say, oh, don't worry, they're with me. And then we will go and do chapel. We'll go into the visiting locker room to invite the players to come to chapel. And you'll be standing between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And before that security guard can come and say, you need to get out of here, say, hey, hey, don't worry about it. They're with me. And then we'll go into the tunnel as the game is beginning to start, giving high fives to all the players. And again, when the off-duty police officer tries to come and tell you, you can't be in the tunnel, I'll simply say, oh, don't worry. They're good. They're straight because they're with me. And then once the game begins, get this, y'all. Any open seat in the Toyota Center, we can take. And so we find two seats courtside, and we're about to sit down. And again, that off-duty police officer comes and says, hey, I need to see your tickets. You can't sit here. I say, hey, don't worry about it. They're with me. All these things, not because you're special, but simply because you are with me. And friends, if you think courtside seats in an NBA game is great, friends, we have courtside seats to eternity now. We are seated at the right hand of God the Father, and we have courtside seats for eternity. If you think riding in a VIP elevator or something, you've now been elevated, raised with Christ into the heavenly places, and Jesus Christ has made you alive. Greater than any traveling to an NBA game, you've now been made alive with Christ. And so here's a name for Satan. Satan's called the accuser of the brothers, accuser of the Christians. So Satan comes to God and says, why is she with you seated at your right hand? Do you know what she was doing just a year ago? Why is he sitting there at the right hand? Why has he been raised to new life? Do you know what he was smoking just a month ago? Jesus Christ was simply, oh, don't worry about it. They're with me. She's with me. He's with me. All of this because you are with Christ. And then he makes a transition here in verse 6. He goes from now being with Christ to now in Christ. He says, seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only are you now connected to Christ with Christ, he says to take it a step further, now you have been placed in Christ. So here's the thing, my wife and I have two daughters. I remember my wife was pregnant with our daughters, so one of our daughters was in my wife. So if my wife went to the gym, 
our daughter went to the gym. If my wife went to work, our daughter went to work. If my wife went to uh, uh, church, then our daughter would go to church because of the fact that she was now in my wife. And what God has done is placed us in Jesus Christ. And I love this word here. He says, immeasurable riches are now given to us in Jesus Christ. That word immeasurable means to throw beyond. It literally means to throw beyond. And think of the movie Napoleon Dynamite when Uncle Rico says, I bet you I could throw this football past those mountains. He says, it's immeasurable. It will go on forever and ever. And he does that to show off. Not show off to you, but to show off to the world what he can do in and through your life in the ages to come. And for those of you here tonight looking for purpose or calling or meaning, he says in verse 10, we are his workmanship. And that word, again, the root word is poem, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, what? That we should walk in them. So he says, you are both with Christ and in Christ. So here's the second why. The second why. Why do we send missionaries and people all around the world? Why do we have salt company? Why? God made us spiritually alive with Jesus Christ because of his great love, because God loves you and I. And notice this word that's used over and over again. At the end of verse 8, it's gift. In the verses 7 and 8, and even in verse 5, the word grace, grace and gift. You can't work for grace. It's unearned, unmerited, God's goodness, and it's a gift. Just like two weeks ago on Christmas morning, can you imagine if you opened up a gift and attached to that gift was a price tag and you're like, mom, dad, brother, sister, what's up with this price tag? And they said, oh, we want you to pay us for the gift or we want you to work for the gift. And you're like, that's not a gift then. A gift doesn't come with a price tag. A gift doesn't come with a timesheet because you don't work for a gift. And so here he says, all of the things that he did, that he made you alive, he raised you, he seated your right hand of the Father, he's pouring out his grace and his riches on you. All of that, he says, you can't work for. You can't earn it, no matter how good you think you are. Why? He says, because it's impossible. It's a gift that God has given you. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Because there's a sin problem, God separates himself from us because of our sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, God made him who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect to become sin on our behalf. And so on the cross as Jesus is dying and he cries out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that everyone in this room would never have to be because he became sin on our behalf. He became the sacrificial offering. So the second thing again, the why is this. God made us spiritually alive with Christ and in Christ. All of us in this room, physically alive, but we're born spiritually dead, but now God offers the but God. He offers us life in Christ. But here's the question. How do I receive this gift? I just wake up on December 25th and I go in between and open this. How do I receive this gift? He tells us simply in verse eight. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, faith. He says, we receive this gift, end of verse eight, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Verse nine, not a result of work so that no one may boast. That word means to hold your head up high. No one can say, I've earned this, I deserve this. He says, we receive it by faith. And friends, I believe that's why 
Salt Company exists. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we go all around the world. That's why some of you may be sensing a burden from God to become a salt staff member or to maybe plant a church because God is saying, this is the message that is received. This is a gift that is received by faith. Now, that's a term we toss around a lot to trust or faith. And so this is what I want to do. This is how, what that means. Right where you are, right where you are, whether you're in the bleachers or on a seat right here, I want you to lift your feet off the ground. Just lift your feet off the ground. Right now, as you lift your feet off the ground, you are putting all of your weight, your total being, your total trust in that chair to hold you up off the ground. That's what you're doing. You're putting your whole weight, your whole being into that chair, trusting that it's gonna hold you up off of the ground. You can put your feet down now. That's what it means to trust. Because when you put your feet down, part of you is trusting your feet to kind of hold you up, and then you're maybe leaning on somebody. But when you put your feet up, you're putting your total weight, your total being, saying, chair, I'm trusting you to hold me up off of the ground. That's what it means. You say, Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. I'm spiritually dead. I'm separated from God because of my sin, my transgression. I misstep and I missed the mark. I'm dead. But I believe this. I believe that you lived a perfect life. You died on the cross and rose on the third day so that I could be now made alive, new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, become a new creature in Christ, raised to new life and seated at the right hand of God. And that's just part of it. He says, now you enter into the kingdom. You now have a new king named Jesus. You now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Romans 5, 1 says that you are justified, declared righteous to God by faith. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, trusts in him, shall not perish, but will have everlasting life, eternal life. Because again, God is the source of life, and you get reconnected to the source of life through Jesus Christ. So we receive the gift by placing our faith, our trust, saying, Jesus, I'm trusting in you alone to be my sin bearer, to be the forgiver of my sins, and to restore me to a relationship with the one who is life, God himself. And again, the other package included in this, verse 10, is God has these works that he's prepared for you beforehand. I call them a predestined purpose that God has given you. You have been saved to serve. And so if you're here tonight and you are not a Christian, you have yet to put your faith in Christ, you've not received the gift, the free gift, as Romans 6.23 says, I would beg you to trust the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And if you're here tonight and you've already placed your faith in Christ, the gospel message, the good news that we just shared tonight is the why of whys that you can give your life to, the spreading of the good news because we live in a world full of people searching for life. Spiritually dead people trying to find life, and Jesus Christ offers life. If I could summarize Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Without Christ, dead. With Christ, alive. That's if I can summarize it. Without Christ, you're dead. With Christ, you are alive. Since junior high school, I've worn Adidas Stan Smiths. 
This is the best-selling shoe of all time. Now, here's what happened, and this is how I connected to the gospel. You're like, how does this have to do with this message tonight? 50 years ago, Adidas, a German company, was looking to make headway into the American market. And it's the original signature shoe. Before there were J's and KD's and Steph's and LeBron's, this was a signature shoe. They were looking to get into the U.S. market. And there was a tennis player by the name of Stan Smith who was dignified and dedicated. And they said, this is the perfect guy. So what they did was they said, we're going to name this new shoe to enter into the U.S. market after Stan Smith. Now you're like, okay, what does that have to do with what we're looking at tonight? Here's Stan Smith. No, many of you don't even know who he is other than he's got a shoe named after him. But Stan Smith was one of the top tennis players in Southern California. And he got a tennis scholarship to the University of Southern California. And so by then, many people are like, you made it. You got into one of the best private schools. You're playing tennis on full scholarship. He played his freshman year. And after his freshman year, get this, y'all, he was invited to play in Wimbledon. So here's a freshman in college who's now been invited to play in the largest tennis tournament in the world, the most well-known tennis tournament in the world. And he remembers that there was a girlfriend he had that said, oh, you've made it now. You've made it to Wimbledon. But he came back after playing in Wimbledon, and this is what happened. Tennis, no matter how great you are at it, was never designed to give you life. Getting a scholarship to a great school, going to college was never designed to give you life. And so here's Stan Smith, physically alive but spiritually dead, trying to find life. He couldn't find life. And so what happened was he came back from Wimbledon his sophomore year. He got into a Bible study with a bunch of other athletes and there for the first time heard this exact same message that you are a sinner separate from God because you're a sin, but God loved you, and because of that, he sent his son to die in your place. And if you would just trust him, believe in him, you can have eternal life. You can have life both in this life, but also in the life to come. You can have a relationship with God. And so his sophomore year, Stan Smith placed his trust, his full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and his life was radically changed. And from then on, he saw tennis not just as a place to play tennis, but he says, I want to be a representative of King Jesus. So he began tennis uh, Bible studies on the pro tour, reaching other players with the good news of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he was known as a dedicated, dignified tennis player. And so when Adidas was looking to break in the U.S. market, they said, that's our guy. And what happens? It became the best-selling tennis shoe of all times, worn by presidents and movie stars, celebrities, young and old, it crosses all generations, simply because a freshman in college was trying to find life in tennis and relationships and partying, didn't find it, but found life in Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer tonight for everyone here who's yet to trust Christ, that you'd find life in Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray now in the quietness of this very sacred moment for those who are here tonight who have yet to place their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray tonight that you would reveal to them through the conviction of your spirit, God, that they're spiritually dead, that they've heard your word, 
But God, you love them. And because of your great love, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ died in their place. I'm just going to do this. If you're not, just heads bowed, eyes closed. If you trusted Christ tonight, if you place your faith, your trust in Christ tonight, I just want you to pray, not out loud, just in your head or as a whisper, just a simple prayer as a demonstration of your trust, your faith in Jesus. Father, I know I'm a sinner separated from you because of my sin. But thank you that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for me as my substitute. And on the third day, he rose again. God, tonight I place my trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me to you, to life. God, help me to now walk in the purpose, the good works that you've prepared for me beforehand. And help me to grow in my relationship with you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer tonight, just would you tell somebody you came with, maybe your salt director, a staff member, saying, I trusted Christ tonight. God, for the rest of us, God, what a why. You've given us two whys. We're spiritually dead, but God has raised us to life, and you've given us a how, faith in Christ. God, this message changes lives both in time and eternity. So God, would that be our why of whys as we consider majors in college, as we consider grad school, as we consider relationships, applying for jobs, coming on staff, planting a church? God, would that be the why of whys that motivates us, that fuels us, the kingdom work, the eternal work that you have called us to? God, will we step up? Will we take that next step of obedience tonight? And we ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said.